0: Let me ask you, open your Bibles to Romans, Book of Romans. I do apologize in advance. I'm not going to belabor this point too long. I just want to say that I'm sorry because I don't have a traditional Mother's Day message. I am just as anxious as some of you are to get into the Book of Romans. How many excited to get into Romans? Ah, amen. And so am I. I I do want to get into it, and I didn't want to put it off another week. Um, another two weeks, actually. If I didn't <clears throat> commence this study today, then we'd have to wait another two weeks. Because next week, we have Dr. Penfold, Dr. Chaplain Penfold. The, I believe it's Mark Penfold. He's going to be with us next Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a special time. Um, I love chaplaincy work. I love the prison work. I love the military chaplaincy. I love, I just, I'm just fascinated with chaplaincy. And so, he's going to be with us here next Sunday to to give us an update as to what God is doing in the the area of chaplaincy so Romans let me just find it in my text here let me give you a snapshot of the book if you will So that we could understand just a little bit what it is we are going to be looking at here today. But let's pray. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this moment. Thank you so much for this time. We love you. We praise your holy name. Father, we pray that you give us understanding hearts. Used to hear and certainly understanding hearts of your word. Speak to us today, Father. Please put words in my heart and in my mind and on my lips. That I may share with you people here today concerning your word. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. So let's just get right into this. Um, <clears throat> by way of a, a, a glance or a brief inter- introduction concerning this book, I want to say a couple of things that are important for us to, to be mindful of as we get into this book. First of all, it's a very, very, very important book. It's an extremely significant book in the Bible. Theologians agree that the book of Romans in itself is a theological masterpiece. It's a systematic theology all in its own. And the reason why is because the book of Romans talks about grace, it talks about the law, it talks about life, redemption, justification, and almost every other major doctrine that you and I can talk about concerning the Bible is found right here In the book of Romans. To understand Romans is to understand the cross. To understand Romans is to understand the gospel. To understand Romans is to understand life from God's perspective for the child of God. Amen, somebody. So it's my hope uh, to go through this book. And it's worth noting here that I'm going to take my time with this. Uh, I love reading the word of God and I like studying it. From the very comprehensive standpoint, I like to go verse by verse. So I'm not going to brush over the material. We're not going to jump five verses, seven verses, and ten verses, and stuff like that, and then get through the book in record time, say a month or a couple of months. That's not going to happen. Um, I want to go verse by verse. That is my hope. That is my goal. (coughs) I want to also say that Romans is at the center of all major theological conversations today. All major theological conversations include this book of Romans. Both good conversations and not so good conversations. Um, Also, on the one hand, uh, we know that Christianity today... um, Sorry, I'm having trouble with my voice. I don't know what it is when I come here. I think, I think we're going to have to take Linda and sit her way in the back. She has cats and I'm allergic to cats. I <clears throat> just don't know what it is. <clears throat> so, on the one hand, we know Christianity today because we possess the book of Romans. But on the other hand, a high percentage of the theological differences that exist in the body of Christ today a high percentage of theological differences that exist in Christendom today can be narrowed down to how we have interpreted the book of Romans. Therefore, it is my intention to proceed through this book very, very carefully. Let's get right into this. I'm going to read the first seven verses and then go through them one by verse. One by one. Boy. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead jesus christ our lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to jesus christ to all those in rome who are loved by god and called to be saints now the reason why i just read those first seven verses and we will go through them it seems as if it's just merely an introduction in these first seven verses. And it is. It's a salutation. But let me, let, let me tell you that there's a lot of material that he covered already here. Most of us have been in church for a very long time. And so we take for granted who wrote the Bible, who wrote this book rather. We take for granted to whom it was written. And there are a lot of other questions that we can ask that... Because we've been around the church for a very long time, we just naturally take for granted. But there are a lot of people here this morning who haven't been in church for a very long time. So they don't necessarily understand. Yes, the, ter- the name Paul was written in the first verse. But most people don't know who Paul was. Again, it's a salutation, it's a greeting, but there's a lot of material in these first seven verses alone. <clears throat> So, look with me to verse 1 once again. It says, Paul called to be an apostle. Paul called to be an apostle. Who was Paul? If you're writing down notes, put these verses down. Philippians chapter 3, 5 through 6. I'm not going to read them for you. Because for the sake of time. But here's what it says in a nutshell. In Philippians chapter 3... Paul includes his accolades, if you will. And he talks about, he basically describes himself to the body of Christ, so that they can get an understanding as to who he was. He was a Pharisee from the tribe of Gen, uh, <clears throat> Benjamin. He, was, he considered himself to be blameless according to the law. In other words, Paul was a very zealous man. And in his own mind, he was a follower, a strict follower Of the law and probably considered himself to be blameless in that regard because he actually uses that word blameless. Um, Also, he was committed to eradicate Christianity. He was so committed to the legal system or to the Jewish religion, if you will, that when Christianity appeared in society way back then, um, he considered it to be an offense, a violation of the word of God, a violation of scripture. So what he did was he received letters of approval from the Sanhedrin that, was, that existed during that time. And they basically gave him permission to persecute the church, the body of Christ. And not just one particular church location, because we know, according to the book of Acts, that there were many, many, many house churches in Jerusalem and throughout that known world. Many, many house churches. And he essentially was given permission to go from house to house, and to persecute Christians. He killed some. He imprisoned others. He humiliated some. He, the list is endless in terms of what Paul accomplished <clears throat> with regard to the Christians. Put this verse down, if you're writing down notes. In Acts 9, verses 1 through 31, which is pretty much the whole chapter. Paul the Apostle, one day, had a run-in with Jesus Christ himself. Remember We've already stated that Paul himself was persecuting the church, and he was indeed in a very major way. And so one day, on the road to Damascus, Jesus Christ himself appeared to Paul, to Saul, because that, his name Jesus later changed his name from Saul to Paul. But Jesus Christ appeared to him, and essentially, long story short, he called them to preach the gospel to the Gentile nations. <clears throat> now, concerning these first first seven verses let 's answer a few questions the, the few other questions that naturally stand out. Um, we answered the question who Paul was. The question now is, who did he write this letter to well the the Romans right The question is who were the Romans The Romans were A community of Christians comprised both of Jews and Gentiles. And it wasn't just one particular location. It wasn't just one particular church. He actually wrote this gospel, this letter, or this book, if you will, to many, many house churches. Next question is, um, where was it written from? According to theologians, Romans was written from Corinth. Toward the end of his third missionary journey. So Paul was on, he actually, he actually went on three missionary journeys. Establishing many churches in the known European region and beyond. And this one particular letter was written from Corinth. How did Paul deliver this letter to the Romans? And by the way, um, it's noteworthy that Paul, when he wrote this letter, he had never been in Rome at that time. It's also noteworthy to put down that Paul did not personally establish the churches in Rome. God used other individuals to start that project, if you will. And how did he send this letter to Rome? He sent it, according to Romans chapter 16, he sends this letter to to Rome by the hand of Phoebe, a woman who was used by God back then in a very, very... Special way. Now, here's the ultimate question concerning this book. It speaks to the thesis or the theme, the main theme of the letter. What does Paul set out to accomplish by this letter? Because he wasn't the founder or the pastor of the church in Rome, rather than address his own pastoral concerns, what he does instead in this letter is, is offer a full statement of his understanding concerning two things. Number one, sin. And secondly, salvation through Jesus Christ. He did not establish the church or the churches. So he wasn't pastor to those churches. But he wanted to offer them his full understanding. A statement with regard to his full understanding of sin and salvation through Jesus Christ. And he, and he does this with authority because he was established by God himself as an apostle to the Gentile nations. And he was actually exercising his authority and according to may, many, many, many authorities, Paul the apostle was indeed received as apostle. His authority was in fact acknowledged. But let's look at two verses really quickly, let's advance a little bit, then we'll come back to these verses. Look at verses 16 and 17, because I want to speak to this, the main thesis or the main point of the entire book of Romans. Before we understand anything with regard to this salutation or this greeting, or anything else in the book, we, under, we have to understand what is the main point of the book. Verses 16 and 17 read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... Of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That right there is the backbone of the book of Romans. Anything you read and discover in this book is centered around That powerful statement right there. The fact, number one, that we are all sinners, that mankind is lost in sin, sickness, and disease, etc. We are in need of a Savior, and His name is Jesus Christ. Paul the Apostle essentially says to the Romans and to everybody else before them and after them, that salvation is necessary for all of mankind because we are sinners, and the salvation is made possible only through Jesus Christ. That was a, that was extremely important because he was talking to the Romans. He was talking to a people that were used to many, many, many pagan traditions. I mean, I think that's a blank statement because it applies to every generation, to every community. Here it is, I'm Puerto Rican, right? But you go to Puerto Rico... And the one thing that's most prevalent in terms of religion is Santaria. So even even though Puerto Rico has been over-evangelized, if you can say that, we're still in need of people to go in there to preach the gospel. In Ireland, in Poland, no matter where you go, you still have to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's necessary. Even though we understand that there is a God, not everybody lives For the God they claim they believe exists. Is that a fair statement? And so in that sense, we need to hear the word of God. And Paul the Apostle made sure that in his letter, he highlighted that salvation is possible only through Jesus Christ. So that the Romans can learn how to denounce their many, many, many traditions. So... Look with me to verse 1 again. The second part of verse 1 reads, Set apart for the gospel. So we're talking about Paul the apostle, and he goes on to say that I was set apart for the gospel. In other words, Paul was selected by God to spread the gospel. It's amazing that God has selected this individual to do this amazing, amazing, or fulfill this amazing ministry. This was Paul the Apostle. This was somebody who who was persecuting the church in a major, major way. He was responsible for the death of many, many Christians. I should say that oftentimes when we think about the church as it existed in the first century, sometimes we make the mistake of believing that the churches were small in nature. Sort of like the churches that exist in society today. We are a church comprised of, say, roughly a hundred members. Who come this, to Sunday service faithfully every single week. And so we take this mindset and we apply it to the church as it existed back then. As if Romans was written to one particular church. But it wasn't. If you read the corresponding passages in the book of Acts... And I have them, but frankly, we don't have time to look through them. Right? You want them? i give them to you. I'll email them or whatever. But there's some corresponding passages in the book of Acts that allow us to understand that the churches were large. I'm not talking about they were mega churches or anything like that, but they were large. And house churches were popping up everywhere just like that. For example, in the upper room, how many people were there? 120. And then when you continue reading through the book of Acts, you find that thousands were saved barely. Peter got up on one occasion and 3,000 people got saved. James got up on another occasion and thousands of people got saved. I mean, people were getting saved all over the known region. Where were these people going? One church? In one church? Norwalk Church? No! They were establishing house churches all over the place. And then Paul the Apostle, he sends word... Through his letters to establish elders in these churches. So there were many, and there were thousands of people saved on a regular basis. And Paul the Apostle, somebody who was actually persecuting the church, was actually selected to head this up. Go figure. I think God has a sense of humor, right? The gospel, it says... Mark. Mark? Amen. Praise God. You okay? Oh, Amen. Good to see you, brother. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. So, Paul, it says here that he was set apart for the gospel. What does the gospel mean? Anybody, anybody. Quickly. The good news. He was set apart. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the entire world. Is it probable? Use your imagination. That you and I are here today. Knowing Jesus Christ. And somehow having been impacted by Paul the Apostle's ministry. Is it probable? Absolutely. It's not to say that he went into Europe. I mean there were 12 apostles. And some of them went into Europe to preach the gospel, which eventually uh, made it here to the United States. But it is probable because Paul the Apostle and the dynamic uh, man of God that he was, that you and I are here today because of his ministry. I thank God for Paul the Apostle. So he was commissioned, according to this verse, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Look at verse 2 with me. which he promised beforehand, this is a reference to the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. The clause that I want to focus here from verse 2 is, which he promised beforehand. We cannot take this for granted. The context is the gospel, that Paul the apostle was set apart by God To preach the gospel to the Gentiles, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Just think about that for a moment. The entire Old Testament is riddled with the gospel. No matter where you read, at least from my perspective, no matter where I read in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Yes, not directly. But the gospel message. Because there was a commissioning that took place way back in the Garden of Eden. If you're writing down, put down, I mentioned this many times before, Proto-Evangelium, Genesis 3.15, the first messianic scripture found in the Bible. From the very beginning, God was declaring that one day, one day my son is going to be manifested In physical form for the purpose of going to the cross and opening up an avenue by which all of mankind can indeed be saved. The promise that he made to Abraham, the gospel was in there. Because a promise and a perpetual promise to all of his descendants. It went from Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and then King David was mentioned in that promise. And then there was a, a period of silence there for a while. But then the promise is fulfilled ultimately culminating in Jesus Christ Himself. That, that would be Matthew chapter 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing story and it's written throughout all the pages of the Bible. Thank you Lord. And if you, let me give you some verses. Because I just don't... I'm watching the time, I don't have the time. First Peter chapter 1, 10 through 12 speaks to that point that I just made. and Matthew 13 verses 16 through 17. First Peter 1, 10 through 12, Matthew 13:16 through 17. Now I want you to listen to these verses that I do want to read in Matthew 13. I do want to read these two because I want you to hear Jesus Christ himself concerning the voice or the cry of the prophets concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, they wanted to take part in what was coming out of their mouths, but they couldn't. Matthew thirteen sixteen through 17 reads, Blessed are your eyes, talking to his audience, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men to see what you see and they did not see it and to hear what you hear and they did not hear it think about that for a moment this is by far the greatest greatest season as far as I'm concerned in all of human history yes we have our difficulties yes we have our troubles yes we live in an ultra liberal liberal state Yes, there's a whole lot of trouble happening in our land with, with abortions and, 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 and same-sex marriage and, and a million other things that are happening in society today. How about human trafficking? How about the sex trade? There are a million ugly things taking place on the planet today. And yet, because of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross so long ago... In spite of what's happening in the world, you and I have the opportunity to know Jesus personally. And I don't know about you, but I've taken advantage of this. I'm not the best at it, I'm not perfect, but I've accepted Jesus Christ in my heart. In other words, the point is that that I have been given the privilege to tangibly be a part of what God is doing post-resurrection. You and I both have that opportunity as well. But yet there was a season, a lengthy season, longer in years than what has transpired after the resurrection. Say 2,000 years after the resurrection. But you got at least 4,000 years prior to Christ. And for many years, prophets declaring that one day, one day, one day, one day, one day salvation, one day, one man, one day. And there are at least 332 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ Himself. And not just general prophecies, but prophecies regarding His description, regarding His his fulfillment, regarding His ministry, regarding His... Just Him! And what He would accomplish in terms of providing salvation for mankind. Over 300 prophecies with multiple details in each one, and you and I are part of it today. Today. That should make somebody excited here this morning. I can't get one, one amen. Can I get one amen? At least one? Amen. And yet the prophets, they wanted to see these days. I mean, they were declaring these things, and yet it did not happen in their lifetime. Look at verse 3. Let's read that verse. <laughs> My Bible's throwing me off because it's got footnotes. It's got one, two, three, or and four, and, then, and they're the same size as the verses. I'm like, okay, well, which was the verse? Verse two reads, "Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures." Verse three, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Amazing concerning His Son. I'm not going to belabor this because I mentioned, I touched on that already. The cross itself, the gospel itself rather, has everything to do with the Son of God. With the Son of God. Look at verse, I mean, Matthew chapter 1. We're not going to go there. I'm not going to read it. But you can look at, say, verses from 25, 26, etc. that actually talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. And how Matthew, in fact, the other Gospel writers themselves and how they take the time to make sure that the readers of the text allude to prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful, just Google prophecies, messianic prophecies, just Google messianic prophecies. When you get an opportunity, it's going to blow your mind when you begin to make the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's extraordinary, the message of the Son. Let's go to verse 3. Or the second half of verse 3 is, And was declared to be the Son of God in power... According to the Spirit of Holiness, by you no—that's know, verse four. See, can I? There are far too many numbers on there, and it's throwing me off. Okay, the second half of verse three. It says, <laughs> "This is King James." Which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. We, we touched on that already. I'm going to move on. <clears throat> that will be Matthew 1.1 1, 1 if you're putting down notes. Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, it speaks of that point concerning King David. Jesus Christ connected to King David. There were actually 27 generations between David and Jesus Christ. 27 generations. Read, let's read verse 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. I love this. I love this because consider, consider Jesus Christ proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming a message that nobody had heard before. Um, at least a message that nobody would admit to having heard before. And I say that because they, they, they read the scriptures. They knew passages like the Isaiah chapter 53 passage. The, 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 uh, the scribes for example they knew the word of God because they were writing they were rewriting these things and they were looking forward to the day when the Messiah would actually show up in their midst and here he was in the midst declaring the gospel message for them to hear and not only was he declaring a message but he was he was validating his words by the miracles that he was performing right it's one thing to de- declare a message that nobody had heard before. But if you want to draw followers, you got to really validate. You know, give it some substance. Put, some, put something in there, some, some flavor in it, so that people can realize that, wait a minute, this thing is real. It's viable. We can't dismiss it. We cannot denounce it. And so Jesus Christ begins to perform miracles. Validating his claims to be the Son of God. But that wasn't enough. Number one, he declares the word of God, a message they had never heard before. Number two, he validates his message by the miracles that he was performing. But number three, ultimately, according to his verse, after being crucified, he rises again from the grave. On the third day, just as he declared, validating his claims to be the son of God. Now think of this. It's been a long time since then. And it's hard for this society, for this generation to make sense of what happened so long ago. But think of the impact that this resurrection had on the people in society back then, on the known world back then. It was such a huge impact, and it's worth noting this, because all of the, the secular authorities, the secular historians, like Flavius, Josephus, and so many others. They took the time to write about this Jesus who had risen from the dead. That's how impactful his ministry was. His resurrection was upon society back then. It's not as impactful today. People coming into the church and going right back out. Coming into the church and going right back out. And almost every soul on this planet has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not every soul on this planet who has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually serving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. One of those difficult things to wrap your mind around. Let's go on. I want to read a quote to you here concerning this resurrection. This is by a man by the name of um, Eric Myers. Eric Myers, an archaeologist and emeritus professor in Judaic studies at Duke University. He says quote, "I don't know any mainstream scholar. I don't know any mainstream scholar who doubts the historicity of Jesus Christ." The details have been debated for centuries, but no one who is serious doubts that he's a historical figure. You see that? Because of the impact that he had. Jesus Christ. We got all these secular authorities. We have all these people who are promoting um, evolution and all these other secular philosophies in society today. And yet, according to Eric Myers, and many people just like him, anybody who is serious about academics, anybody who is serious about research, cannot deny the, the historicity of Jesus Christ. That he was a man who actually lived and walked this planet. And, the actually, and that he actually did what the Bible claims he did. Imagine that. Wrap your mind around that just a little bit. So that you can appreciate indeed what Jesus Christ did for us. And I say that because even in our churches today, there is a difficulty by God's people... To accept the Word of God and what Jesus Christ has declared in the Word of God. Take, for example, the book of Romans. There's a lot of material in the book of Romans concerning how you and I should live as believers today. And eventually, eventually we're going to get to that material. And yet, there is a void, there is a, I don't know what word to properly, how to properly describe it. But there is a, there's a, there's a lack of, if you will, of lifestyle, concerning our lifestyle and what the Bible has to say in terms of what we should or how we should be living out our lives. We have adopted many, many of the world's uh, behaviors, character traits. And we brought a lot of the world into our churches. I'm not saying that to be harsh. Or to be condemning in any way. But it just goes to show how we are not necessarily entirely in sync with what the Bible has to teach us. Neither am I. None of us are. Because we're living in this flesh. and We're finite. We're incomplete. We're imperfect. But the book of Romans has to be taken seriously. Listen to this. Write this verse down. Luke 24 verse 44. And this is according to Jesus Christ himself about his own account regarding his resurrection. Luke 24, verse 44. And Jesus states, and he said to them, these are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus Christ was pointing to the Old Testament regarding His resurrection from the dead. One day He was having a conversation with the Pharisees. I think I may have mentioned this or alluded to it briefly before. In John 5, verse 39. He's talking with the Pharisees and they're claiming to be saved because they understood a few things regarding the Old Testament. But yet... Jesus was standing in front of them. The one the Old Testament was pointing to. They were rejecting Him and yet still claimed to be saved. And Jesus says in verse 39, chapter 5 of John. He says, search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of Me. Now look at the second half of verse 4. It says, according to the spirit of holiness. The context here, of course, is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead with power. He rose from the dead with power. But this portion of scripture actually tells us that it happened according to the spirit of holiness. Some theologians, many theologians, actually refer to the book of Romans as the Trinitarian Gospel. Meaning that what Paul did was that he took the, the theology of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he weaved that into the entire letter. No matter where you read, you discover wonderful truths about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's very important concerning this letter. But it happens, or rather, the resurrection happened according to the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection happened according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Validating Jesus' claims concerning Himself as the Son of God. But think in terms of now, because we, we are saved... And we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. We're going to get this eventually, get there, but I think it's mentioned in Ephesians and some of the other Gospels. I just want to present this simple point. That the same Holy Spirit, who rose Jesus Christ from the grave, resides within you and I, if you know Jesus. And He empowers us to live this new life that we have in Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity would not, could not, will never be possible. Without the Holy Spirit, you and I would just simply be acquainted with religion today. With no life, with no substance, with no umph, with no ability to honor God at all. Because Paul the Apostle, in some of his other letters, he goes on to say that unless you have the Spirit of God, you have no part in Him. So I'm thankful... For the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's the reason why I mentioned that there. Look at verse 5. It says, by whom, it's talking about Jesus. The context of these first few verses is Jesus, by whom, it's not a reference to the Holy Spirit in verse 4. By whom, Jesus, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul was referring to the authority he had received from the Lord. Regarding his ministry to all who were in Rome. As well as all the Gentiles. And he had to put that in there. Because he wanted to make sure that the Romans understood who he was. And how in fact he was called by God to preach the gospel to them. He was in fact The Apostle Paul. Verse 6. And I'll stop at 7. Among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ. Among whom also you also. Let me look at it over here. Including you who are called. To belong to Jesus Christ. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That just simply means... Think, think about you. We know that Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. And that it was a message of salvation to all of mankind back then. But does it not apply to you and I here today as well? Of course. So there's this prophetic voice in the letter that speaks to you and I as well. And not just to the Romans So long ago. And think about it. Three missionary journeys. He was persecuted. He was left for dead. He was imprisoned. And ultimately, he was killed for the cause. He was killed for the cause. Talking about Paul. We know that Jesus Christ was killed. But I'm talking about Paul. And yet, his ministry is still impacting our lives here today. Verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. To all those in Rome who are called by God to be saints. This verse actually concludes this greeting or this salutation by Paul to the Romans. Right? But he was praying a blessing over them. Think about that. He actually takes the time to pray a blessing over their lives, which is actually huge. Because Paul the Apostle, what he's essentially doing is that he was expressing his heart to them. And he meant every single word. Think about when you take the time to write a letter. When you write a letter to somebody, you actually take the time to acknowledge them. Talk about it pleasantries, right? We, we how's your day, this and that. I hope you're well. I hope this letter finds you well. But then, do we actually mean it when we take the time sometimes to, listen, I, I hope you are well. And sometimes it's more of a cliché when we actually do that. And there's no, no umph sometimes in the way we greet people. Or, sometimes we just behave politically correct, right? When we acknowledge certain people, Lord knows I don't want to be talking to this guy right now. Uh, but we extend ourselves nonetheless. And sometimes our hearts are not involved. Bear with me here. Paul the Apostle, he does the same thing in this letter with this greeting, but he meant every word. This was a man who ultimately, sometime later, was actually killed for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was actually stoned many, many, many times, he was shipwrecked, he was left for dead. Because he was venturing out to preach the gospel to people just like the Romans here. I thank God for his ministry. Amen. I'm gonna leave it right there. We're gonna we're gonna begin it's 11, eleven, twelve after the hour. Next week next in two weeks actually we're gonna begin with verse eight. From 8 through 15. Where Paul begins to get into the body of his message. So I pray that you, you come. God bless you guys. We are dismissed.